We are in the 11th hour of the trade deadline for the MLB as of recording this, and we have gotten some explosive deals across the MLB. We're going to go through a bunch of those, uh, take a look at some of the teams that have gotten better, some of the teams that I think have kind of stayed the same. Clearly, some teams have gotten worse, obviously, as as they try to you know, rebuild, bolster the rebuilding uh, for a lot of these teams. And then, obviously, some teams are pushing for a championship this year and uh, some of these teams have gotten a lot better and some of these teams have gotten a lot worse and we're going to take a look at both sides of that we'll see what uh, we'll see who's uh, I'll, I'll give a prediction for who I think will probably be in the World Series who I think should be in who I think will be in the World Series towards the end here uh, I'm also going to touch very briefly because I don't have full opinion on on this yet I'm still kind of digging through the report uh, and you know the 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 coverage of it all, uh, but Deshaun Watson, uh, the ruling came down for him, which was a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson. That was the ruling made by by Judge Sue Robinson overseeing the disciplinary case, and uh, the six-game suspension was what was recommended to the NFLPA for Deshaun Watson. So I'll kind of give my opinions slightly on that, but like I said, it's not going to be a full opinion it's not going to be a full resolute opinion i'm not going to break everything down just because it's disappointing i would say but not um unexpected let's just start with it i guess just because let's get it out of the way early uh just because it's been kind of the the news that everybody is talking about here today um and i guess basically for the whole week it's been as up until this point since it came out the news that everybody's been talking about um disappointed but not unexpected Six games uh, is not nearly enough in my mind. Um, apparently, uh, people were uh, expecting, or uh, um, the league, the league um, was it was asking for um, a year long suspension with an indefinite kicker covering any and all new information that may surface. But Sue Robinson uh, recommended to the NFLPA that it just be a six game suspension which is baffling to me, given the stuff that we know, uh, the stuff that has come out regarding the situation that was going on with Deshaun Watson. Um, He had such a troubled relationship with dozens of massage therapists that his own franchise suggested that he carried around NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. I don't know. I've never gone into a massage therapist and asked them to sign an NDA. That gives you an idea. Uh, they also recommended that they bring a small to medium-sized towel with him to massages instead of using a regular one that would be supplied to him. Might suggest uh, that might suggest what a network of civil suits says he is. Um, it's just kind of a disaster, and you'll read a lot of the people thinking that a non-indictment from a grand jury is the same thing as an exoneration. It's not. They're different things. They're just saying he uh, was. He's not guilty, but he's also not innocent, which. We're basically in the same spot we have been for the past, you know, two years or how long this has been going on. Basically, two years. Um, it's just kind of embarrassing for the NFL. All I want is more is consistency, and I feel bad for the women in this scenario because, again, it just kind of uh, re uh, not reignites, but re uh, reinstills this notion that if you do come forward, there is not a guarantee that you will be satisfied with the outcome so why come forward is the question i'm sure a lot of women are asking themselves right now with in a situation like this with dozens 
uh, more than two dozen sexual assault, uh, sexual assault claims, uh, sexual harassment or assault claims. And he gets six games and most of it's going to civil lawsuits, which is more or less, I mean, which no one, no one didn't expect because that's the most, uh, that's the way they're going to get uh, reparations for a situation like this. It's very difficult to prove uh, sexual assault or sexual harassment in a grand jury in that sort of setting. And so a lot of them are uh, settling with Deshaun Watson, but you know, he's going to be fine. Unfortunately, he's got six game suspension, which is, <laughs> which is a third of the length of uh, the year long suspension that was given to Calvin Ridley. Ridley gambled $1,500 on football games via a platform that the league profits from and promotes relentlessly DraftKings and FanDuel as well, but mainly DraftKings, who is their, their main sponsor for gambling. Uh, Calvin Ridley got caught gambling for $1,500 on football games. I don't believe it was any that were his own football games, but $1,500, $1,500 for football games. Granted, I'm not okay. I don't think you should be allowed to gamble on football games if you're a player, but Looking at the situation here and the comparison of the two, which everybody is going to do and everybody should be doing because it is, you know, uh, handing out judgment based on uh, the series of evidence in the in the pieces of evidence that we have for a certain piece of misconduct by an NFL player. Everybody's going to judge the the uh, the the sentences and compare the two. So here's your comparison: Calvin Ridley, full year long suspension; Sean Washington, six games for. Over two dozen, uh, two dozen accusations of sexual assault and harassment. Make it make sense. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Make it make sense. I don't. The NFL doesn't is not good with their consistency, and that is all I want. And I think that's all anybody wants in this situation is consistency. Show that you have an outline for this sort of thing for your punishments. That's not just fire-ready aim. It is a slap in the face for a lot of these women, and it's a slap in the face for a lot of uh, fans of the sport that are women as well, um, and it just reinforces a, a, a stigma of if you're going to come out, nothing's going to come of it, or uh, not much of it is going to come of the situation, um, and, and it's unfortunate. Uh, it proves, again, once again, that the NFL is eons behind everybody else when it comes to this sort of situation uh the mlb just basically ended trevor bauer's career for the stuff that he got onto not too dissimilar maybe a little a little different obviously from deshaun watson's case but not too dissimilar in terms of the uh, um severity of it i would guess deshaun watson more women of course which is something you should take into uh, effect and again Trevor Bauer arguably more evidence I would say to the contrary uh, to him uh, being abusive basically um, in a more uh, in, a, in an accepting setting I guess but he basically uh, tarnished the face of the league when that came out for Trevor Bauer and the MLB said we're not going to have this we will not accept this period cut point blank and period and they basically ended his not they didn't end his career, but his uh, prime basically was ended by the MLB. And I don't I don't uh, disagree with their ruling or anything like that for the MLB. But uh, when you compare that to this, it's interesting because the MLB on the field, the product has greatly and vastly be 
been uh, degraded compared to the NFL. But in the off the field stuff, the MLB, it feels like, is taking better steps forward, more important steps forward compared to the NFL. And it's just a shame because a lot of people are still going to watch. I'm still going to watch football because it's, you know, it's a game I enjoy watching. The NFL itself is fun to watch. But it's just, you know, there's no consistency. There's no consistency in rulings like this. And it's a problem the NFL has had for years, ever since Ray Rice and, you know, the countless other situations that they've gotten into considered like this, basically. Um, not as bad as I would say Deshaun Watson, but I don't want to compare it in that sense. But uh, in, in a similar sense, maybe not as popular as Deshaun Watson, as he is one of the biggest names in the game as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, uh, just out of pure talent um, and and recognition. Um, the NFL hasn't had to deal with anything like this. But I mean, when you look at just the overall comparing comparativeness of the other suspensions uh, that the the league has handed out for different things. I mean, Michael Kendricks was another one who uh, is going to receive more time or did receive more time uh, for insider trading. He received more time suspended for insider trading than Deshaun Watson will. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins will also miss six games for trace amounts of performance-enhancing drugs, performance-enhancing substances. It just doesn't make any sense in the comparison. It never will. So now Goodell, Commissioner Roger Goodell, has uh, multiple times been confronted with opportunities to stand up for women, um, but the league prefers to walk around uh, in pomp and circumstance, parade around in pomp and circumstance, I guess would probably be the better way. Um, they have their breast cancer awareness stuff, which they parade around in pink, Um they have severely punished players like Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt, Greg Hardy for different different uh, assaults to significant others, uh, women. Uh, but most most people are not suggesting in this scenario for a lifetime ban from the NFL. It's actually studies, according to SI Sports Illustrated, studies have shown that the looming weight of a lifetime ban would hamper the willingness of survivors to come forward. But the difference between that and Josh Gordon, is there not a, you know, Josh Gordon, who was given three indefinite suspensions and a year-long suspension from the NFL for substance abuse, weed, for marijuana. Where's the difference? I don't understand it. There should be a middle ground. And the middle ground should not be less than Josh Gordon, who, again, three indefinite suspensions suspensions and a year-long suspension from the NFL for smoking weed. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. Again, it's the saddest part. It's it's unfortunate. I don't think it's surprising, though. I really, I really did. Uh, I was cynical about this because I believed the NFL was going to drop the ball on this scenario. Uh, on the what is it? The twenty one percent of women who recently describes themselves as avid fans of the NFL. Uh, this is just a slap in their face, and it's unfortunate. Uh, after the first six games, Watson is going to be able to walk out there and possibly drive this team, the Browns, who are a very good team this year. It's not like he's going to a bad team, uh, drive them to a playoff appearance and possibly, God forbid for the NFL, uh, a possible championship scenario. And that would be a nightmare scenario, I think, if, if you're the NFL, uh, watching 
Deshaun Watson lift the Lombardi trophy after this disaster of a situation has unraveled over the last two years. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It's unfortunate, like I said, um, but not surprising. And the NFL, once again, just kind of buries themselves into a situation where they really have no idea how to handle themselves in a situation like this, even though they're the organization that has the biggest problem, the the biggest of these of these problems. Um, so that's my opinion on it. I'm probably not going to talk about it more after this, just because it's uh, it's done. Uh, they, they still have Sean Watson's camp still has to appeal, I believe, if I remember correctly, or the NFL has to appeal one of the two. Um, and we'll see what happens after that. And then maybe if there's an adjustment or anything like that, then I'll I'll make a comment about it after that. But this will probably be the last time I'm kind of talking about it because when I do talk about it, it makes me depressed and uh, I don't want to keep depressing the people on this podcast, even though it is an important uh, an important news story that needs to be followed. Um, But if this is the most we're going to get out of this, then I don't want to keep talking about it because um, it doesn't deserve uh, Deshaun Watson does not deserve to be painted in a positive light for getting a six game suspension after this. So we're going to move on. Um, It is trade deadline day for the MLB. As of recording this, we have about 45 minutes before the official deadline is actually over. Uh, A couple names still have yet to be traded. Uh, Wilson Gutierrez of the, uh, the uh, uh, Chicago Cubs has not, has yet to be traded. He is a name that is still on a lot of people's lists. Uh, Noah Syndergaard hasn't been traded yet either. Ian Happ of the Cubs hasn't been traded yet. There's still probably going to be a couple trades after I post this. So bear with me here. Um, But the big one of the day that everybody is going to be talking about for not years, but probably years to come, depending on if Juan Soto ends up signing an extension with the Padres, is the Juan Soto trade. Juan Soto traded to the San Diego Padres a year after San Diego kind of uh, not necessarily dropped the ball, but missed out on the Max Scherzer, uh, Trey Turner, Trey Turner trade that the Dodgers basically swooped in and took from them a year ago. The Padres. Uh, get last laugh, sure, and they can they can say they get last laugh if you want to. John uh, Juan Soto is probably a better prospect than um, I mean you know that's comparing apples to oranges, but it's a bigger signing I would say Juan Soto. Uh, he's one of the best players in the game. He's 23 years old. He's coming. Uh, he's out. No, he's, he's having an up and down season. Um, I would say I would argue that playing for the Nationals, they have not been very good, and I would argue that he's probably playing too. Um, his teammates' capability, if that makes sense. There's not a lot of action. Uh, you know, they're not playing for a whole lot in Washington right now. They're kind of in a tank mode. So I, I don't blame him. You know, he's hitting 246, a 408, a 408 on base percentage is still very good. Um, but hitting 246, a 408 on base, and a 485 slugging, uh, an 894 OPS as well, which is not bad as well. Uh, not bad either. He is coming off in 2020, which granted. Take that, take this for what you will. But 2020 he had a 351, 490 on base percentage, 695 slugging. He only played 47 games, obviously because of the COVID season. But very good season there. And then in uh, 2021, a really solid season as well. 
313 batting average, a 465 on base percentage, almost 50% of the time he was on base, and then a 534 slugging percentage. So he's one of the best players in the game, and he's only 23 years old. He is one of the most well-rounded hitters, period, point blank, cut and dry in the game, and their uh, lineup in San Diego is going to be really, really good uh, when Juan Soto gets there. They also got an underrated part of that trade, uh, Josh Bell. The Padres got Josh Bell from the Nationals as well, and he is having a pretty underrated season over at first base as a switch hitter as well. Uh, he's hitting 301 with a 384 on base percentage and a 493 slugging. He's got 14 home runs and 57 RBIs and 103 games so far this season. He's having a pretty underrated year, and that's going to be an underrated pickup for them as well. They're going to get rid of Eric Hosmer, who they have gotten rid of. He waived his no-trade clause to go to the Red Sox, if I remember correctly. So Josh Bell is going to be their starter over at first base from now on. And going to Washington from San Diego for Juan Soto and Josh Bell, uh, Washington gets a couple of really solid prospects. Left-hand pitcher Mackenzie Gore, who has been a, a solid prospect in that organization for the Potters for a while. Uh, and then shortstop C.J. Abrams, who is one of the higher-rated prospects in that Potters organization as well. They also get outfielder James Wood, uh, right-handed pitcher Yarlin Susana, and then Robert Hassel third as well. And then not to mention uh, Luke Voigt as well will be going to Washington as well as the longest tenured, if you will, um, major leaguer in this trade for going toward going to Washington. Uh, Luke Voigt's been with the Potters for the last few years, but he was with the Yankees before that. And um, moving him over there will make room in the DH spot slash first base area for both Josh Bell. And then if Juan Soto wants to DH, he can DH in that spot as well. So a big trade, monstrous trade. They weren't done. The Potters were not drawn, done either. They also got infielder Brandon Drury from Cincinnati for Victor Acosta. Um, another infielder that should they should be able to slot in basically right away. He has been playing, kind of plays all over the place for the, um, or used to play all over the place for the Reds. Um, he's having a 274, 335, 520 season so far, so another pretty solid pickup for the, uh, for the Padres as a utility man. He's got 20 home runs so far on the season as well, 59 RBIs in 92 games, so another solid pickup for the Padres and that lineup has just gotten very, very, very dangerous. That is a very, very good team. They're still like 12 games back of the Dodgers in the NL West, but that doesn't really matter. Divisions as the wild card has kind of expanded over the years have kind of ceased to matter really, to be honest with you. Of course, every, every team wants to win the division. That's a big deal more or less. Um, but if you get into the wild card, you have maybe not just as good of a chance, but you, have, if you get into the wild card, you can still go in and win the World Series. A couple teams have done it time and time again. The Giants basically made a living of that in the 2010s, uh, doing that three times, basically, um, when they won their World Series. So they basically just have to chase the wild card. They're not even chasing the Dodgers at this point, but they still, if they want to advance into the World Series, which clearly is what they're shooting for at this point, uh, they're still going to have to face the Dodgers and beat the Dodgers in order to get there, and uh, that kind of looks like what they're doing. They're clearing out the farm system, if you will, not clearing it out necessarily, but emptying out a good portion of it um, in order to get to the Dodgers and beat the Dodgers, hopefully, in the uh, playoffs, which should be fun. Uh, you know, if they meet up in the play, I mean, this entire series, the Dodgers between between the Dodgers and the Potters got a whole lot more interesting, in my opinion, because of the implication of they might meet in the playoffs, not necessarily just playing in the regular season to try for the Padres to try to catch the Dodgers in 
the division, but it's more of a preview of what we should probably expect to see in the playoffs uh, between these two teams. And that makes it fun. Uh, it was kind of a, it reminds me a little bit of the Giants and the Dodgers last year where the Giants kind of ran away with the division for a while. Uh, but those matchups were all pretty interesting because it was uh, what we expected to see in the playoffs as well as a preview more or less. And uh, those matchups were always a lot of fun. So those were the big, that, that's a, that's the biggest trade of the day by far biggest trade of the trade line, probably the biggest trade at the trade deadline in the MLB in recent memory. Um, one of the biggest trades arguably in the history of the game, just because of how big of, you know, I mean, Juan Soto is going to be under team control, I believe until 2024, if I remember correctly, uh, he's still just 23 years old. So if the Padres can sign him to a big deal, they'll have him through his prime and um, he can play in San Diego for as long as, you know, however long they want him to. And I don't think they'd be upset with a big signing there. So, Huge deal in San Diego. San Diego's only gotten better today, um, and the day is not necessarily done yet either. But after that trade, uh, they've be- they've definitely only gotten better. Uh, we'll see if a couple more names pop up here in the next few in the next um, hour or so as I'm recording this. But uh, as of right now, the biggest trade of the day uh, is Juan Soto going to the Padres. A couple other under the radar trades um, that really caught my eye. Houston has been on the purchasing block, which has been pretty big. They've quietly got, they've, in my opinion, quietly got not quite a bit better, but definitely better in a couple of the spots that they needed to. They picked up uh, Christian Vasquez from the Red Sox for a player to be named later going to Boston. And they also got uh, outfielder slash first baseman Trey Mancini and Jaden Murray from Baltimore uh, in a three-team deal. Baltimore got right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson and right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott and Tampa Bay got outfielder Jose Siri. Uh, That is a very solid trade for Houston. They have quietly gotten better, in my opinion, and shored up a couple of weak spots on their team, in my opinion, that they had before that they did not have, uh, that they they had before that they don't really have anymore uh, heading into the back half of the season. Christian Vasquez is a pretty solid catcher. He's not going to jump off of the page in terms of power or anything like that, but he's pretty, he's a clutch hitter. He's a pretty solid base for base hitter. He's like I said, not going to pop off the page for power, but uh good backstop, solid defensive catcher as well. That's a good pickup for Houston. It replaces Martin Maldonado, who has been awful for the Astros this year and pretty awful over the last few years for the Astros. Um, and then Trey Mancini comes in and he can basically DH. He can play outfield, but I don't expect them to play. I don't expect him to play outfield very much. Um, but he can play outfield and he's also a first baseman and he'll more than likely play more often or not, uh, more often than not first base, um, replacing Yuli Gurriel, who's also kind of slumped quite a bit in, uh, the first base spot as well for the Astros. So the Astros, in my opinion, have gotten a lot better. They also picked up, uh, Will Smith, not that Will Smith, but the left-handed reliever, Will Smith from Atlanta for right-handed pitcher, Jake Odorizzi. Uh, that's a solid trade for the Astros as well. Miners are, or, excuse me, relievers usually aren't the easiest thing to judge just by looking at the stat line, but he's got a 4.38 ERA, a FIP of 5.22. That's pretty high, and that's probably a little bit higher than you'd want. But, uh, you know, left-handed reliever, nice thing to have. He's got a zero point, a negative 0.6 uh, war this season, so not great, but a left-handed reliever in today's game, that's not something you uh, really pass up on. Left-handed relievers are kind of hard to come by. And uh, Will Smith has been not a premier one, but he's been with Atlanta for a while and he's been pretty solid for them, won a championship with them as well. And um, it's good. I think it's a good pickup for the 
Astros. I think that uh, they were probably a little too stacked heavily on uh, starting pitching. I don't think Jake Odorizzi, Odorizzi really needed to be in Houston, to be honest with you. And um, I think it's just a good way, a good time to get him off the books, bring in another reliever because you can never have enough relievers in today's game. And um, that's what Houston did. So I think Houston quietly has gotten a lot better. And um, I think obviously they're gearing up for another playoff run as they have the past five to seven years as one of the best teams in the uh, AL. Another team, not during uh, another a deal that went down, not during the deadline, but uh, close to the deadline. Uh, this was back July 28th, you know, last the last week of July, basically. A couple of names went down. A couple of deals went down. Seattle, uh, they're also pushing for one of the final playoff spots in the AL. They're not going to win the AL West, so they're not going to push for that. So they're basically pushing for a wild card spot, and they're kind of going all in in that scenario. They picked up right-handed pitcher, right-handed starter, Luis Castillo from Cincinnati, Noel V. Mart for Noel V. Marte, Edwin uh, uh, Royal, uh, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore, both pitchers, Levi Stout and uh, Andrew Moore. Noel V. Marte was a big name in Seattle's farm system. That was one of their top prospects. So Seattle clearly going all in, dumping some of the farm system names in order to go all in for a wild card run and possibly a World Series run as well. So another big name there goes to Seattle from Cincinnati. Uh, a couple others, the New York Yankees, they picked up Andrew Benintendi from the Kansas City Royals for right-handed pitcher Chandler Champlin, left-handed pitcher TJ Sigma, and right-handed pitcher Beck Way. A couple of big prospects there from the Yankees going to Kansas City for Andrew Benintendi. And you know what? I'm going to bash on the Yankees a little bit here, to be honest with you. Yankees, nothing screams the 21st century, the 2010 Yankees, 2010s and on Yankees, like shooting for Juan Soto and ending up with Andrew Benintendi. No offense to Andrew Benintendi. He's had a very solid year, had a very solid year with the Royals so far. But, I mean, Juan Soto is Juan Soto. And everybody, every Yankees fan, kind of the same thing with the Dodgers, except the Dodgers usually are able to make good on a lot of their trades. Again. Uh, going back to last year, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, that was a huge deal, and um, they were able to pull it off. Um, but, you know, shooting for Jorge, or excuse me, uh, Juan Soto, and then landing on Andrew Benatendi is just, that just screams kind of 2010s Yankees. That's kind of what they've become. No offense, to, again, no offense to Andrew Benatendi. Solid player. He should be good for them. I don't know how much better Andrew Benatendi makes the Yankees. Compared to where they were, I really don't. As a Red Sox fan, I watched Andrew Benatendi for a while. I liked Andrew Benatendi. He was important on the 2018 World Series team. I don't know how much better that makes the Yankees, to be honest, in my opinion. I don't think it puts them over the top or anything like that. Um, and that just kind of felt like a a last-ditch move, if you will, because they weren't going to get Juan Soto, and I think they felt like they were never going to get Juan Soto. Not never going to get Juan Soto, but they weren't going to match the asking price that the Padres wanted in order to get Juan Soto. And here we are. So they land on Andrew Benintendi. Still a very good team, but I don't know how much better that actually makes them. And I'm probably going to eat my own words here eventually once they get once we get into the playoffs and, you know, the back half of the season. I'll probably going to end up eating my words, but we'll see what happens. It just screams the 2010s Yankees where it feels like they're scared, not scared, but reluctant to give up their farm system names more often than not in order to get, um, you know, another name that they can get. And that's, you know, that, that has bitten them in the past and they have a reason to be, uh, to be afraid of that because, you know, the late two thousands Yankees had a trouble, a difficult time 
getting rid of a lot of veteran names that they went and traded for to try to try to compete now. Um, but they did make another trade that I think could be good. Um, it just kind of depends. They were able to pick up Frankie Montas from the and and uh, reliever Lou Trevino from the Oakland Athletics for a couple of other prospect names. Left-handed pitcher Ken Waldachuk, right-handed pitcher Luis Medina, left-handed pitcher J.P. Sears, and infielder Cooper Bowman. I'm probably going to be more negative on this trade because it's the Yankees. I'm not a Yankees fan. You guys know that by now. But big thing is we're getting, the the Yankees are getting a guy in Frankie Montas who has been very good this season. Uh, He's got 291 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's given up 255 hits, 32 home runs, 85 walks, 316 strikeouts, a 330 ERA. He's been very good this season. No, you know, no different. I'm not going to say he's a bad player by any means, but we've seen the Yankees, you know, uh, sign somebody from the A's before who was having a good season come over and the limelight's too strong or something like that, and uh, they struggle. I'm looking at you, Sonny Gray. That was something that happened to him. Do I think this is going to happen to Frankie Montas? No, he's having a good season. I'm not going to say that or anything like that. But we'll see what happens. He's been a pretty solid pitcher for the A's for a while now. Going back to going back to 2018, he's posted a sub uh, four ERA four out of the last five years. So a pretty solid player, uh, and he strikes out a lot of batters. He's got 9.4 strikeouts per nine, in, nine, innings, nine innings pitched in 2021. It was 10 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. Um, doesn't get a lot of uh, recognition because it is Oakland and the athletics are the athletics kind of a joke, um, but still a solid player, a FIP of 3.35. I think it's a good signing for the Yankees. We'll see what happens, though. It is going from Oakland where, you know, you don't have a whole lot of limelight on you to New York where you literally have the most limelight on you. So could be a lot. We'll see what happens. I think Frankie Montas should be good, though, and I think it's a good signing for them. The Yankees, uh, the Yankees rotation has struggled. They haven't been very good as of recently. In April, they had a 2.71 ERA. May, it was a 2.83 ERA. In June, it was a 3.49 ERA. And then in July, it's a 4.38. So, fatigue could be coming down. That sort of thing uh, could be the, um, you know, the early season just dominate everybody. And then you start to slow down. People start to figure out. Uh, hitters start to figure out a little bit more. That sort of thing. So adding another arm to that to that uh, rotation is not a terrible idea at all. So uh, Yankees, they should be good. We'll see what happens in terms of the limelight. That whole thing. Lou Trevino was an, is a good pickup for them as well. You can't can't have enough uh, bullpen arms, especially when it comes towards the end of the season and uh, the playoffs. You can't have more than enough arms. So that was a good signing, in my opinion, for them as well. Uh, that was another one that happened for the Yankees. And then uh, the other big one that Yankees fans rejoiced for Joey Gallo is traded out of New York after picking up Andrew Benintendi. He gets traded to the Dodgers. For some reason, the Dodgers are looking for a power bat and they landed on Joey Gallo. I don't think that's a great trade for the Dodgers, to be honest with you. Um, It's a big risk to take Joey Gallo, in my opinion. Uh, It's a bad trade. If you're looking for somebody with average, Uh, not a great look for them. He is hitting, uh, he was hitting for the Yankees a 159, 282, 339 slash line, which is completely dreadful. Does get on base, 282 on base percentage. That's still pretty good. Um, but that batting average is abysmal. And uh, with him and 
Max Muncy on the same team. This is according to CBS Sports. Joey Gallo with a 159 uh, batting average and Max Muncy with a 162 batting average, currently only fourth and the seventh lowest single season batting averages ever in the live ball era, basically since 1920. They'll now reportedly be teammates on the Dodgers. So Dodgers are kind of going all in on the three outcomes. The the three outcomes theory, basically, walks, hits, and strikeouts, or excuse me, walks, home runs, and strikeouts, and uh, they're going to be the staple of that team, which is odd because you look at Mookie Betts, and he is not somebody that is on that staple. He is usually a good hitter for average. I mean, he's basically a five-tool guy, but also, you know, guys like Cody Bellinger are part of that theory. Um, Freddie Freeman's not part of that theory. Uh, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are both not part of that theory, so it's interesting how they're kind of building the roster where some of them are part of that theory and some of them are not. It's an interesting, uh, an, an interesting building that they're uh, they're making in LA to kind of compete with. I, I don't know if they were trying to compete now with the Padres and their signings because clearly, I mean, the Dodgers are in basically every single trade conversation, so they missed out on uh, Soto. So they were going to try to get whoever they want or whoever they could for an outfield power bat, and they landed on Joey Gallo. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't think Joey Gallo is basically in his. He was another kind of version where of the person that went from Texas, which in Texas, you know, he wasn't hitting for average or anything like that, but he was getting on base and he hit home runs and that sort of thing. So he was truly the one of the premier guys of the three true outcomes thing in Texas. And uh, it just didn't work out in New York. It was not nearly as good. And it was another one of those situations of the limelight feel like it was felt like it was hitting too bright and he's not getting any you know leeway going to Los Angeles where the 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 light is just as bright basically um so we'll see what happens here he gets a new a change of scenery which is good for it should hopefully should be good for them uh good for Joey Gallo and um you know we'll see what happens I can't believe they got a return on Joey Gallo to be honest I thought for sure they were going to have to DFA him because of how bad he was uh playing but uh, the Yankees in return got right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater and um, I'm surprised the Yankees were able to get that out of them, to be honest with you, because of how bad in terms of average and just overall uh, play he was getting out of New York. His uh, trade, his uh, his trade value was not high. Let's just put it that way in order to uh, from uh, to from his time with the Yankees. So that was surprising to me. But Yankee or the Dodgers load up, quote unquote, uh, with another outfield power bat to try to make another run at a World Series. Uh, a couple other ones that happened here today. Uh, another one that I skipped out on here for the Padres, actually, they got left-handed reliever Josh Hader. That is a huge, huge get for the uh, for the Padres as well. He is a fantastic closer. He stumbled a little bit after the month of July, but if he gets back going into things and, and you know kind of finds his rhythm again, um, he should be one of the very best closers in the game uh, to in the, in the game for the Padres. Uh, they did lose in that uh, in that trade. Taylor Rogers. That was a loss for them. Who was their who was their closer at the time? Uh, left-handed pitching prospect Robert Gasser, right-hander uh, da- Danielson Lemay as well, and outfielder Estuary Ruiz to the Brewers. Um, so a couple prospects lost there from the Potters, but again, they're just basically flooding their farm, uh, their farm market, their their um, farmers market. What uh, their farm system in order to get uh, players for a win now, and they're going all out. Once Fernando Tatis comes back for a World Series. Okay, so let's see what I think a World Series would look like after today. Trade deadline is basically all but wrapped up. We've got new names, whole new faces, and a bunch of new places. 
kind of going through a bunch of it. We have a couple new names, some minor, some minor trades that could end up being huge, that sort of thing, like the uh, Darren Ruff from the Giants to the Mets that could end up paying dividends down the line and that sort of thing. So there's a couple other small names that are, you know, here and there that could end up being big down the line. But as it stands right now, Padres got a lot better. They are basically a completely different team than they were a day ago, two days ago um, with Josh Hader coming in, Juan Soto coming in, obviously Josh Bell now being able to man first base slash the DH spot with Juan Soto, who will also play outfield or DH basically. They got rid of Eric Hosmer. They did lose Luke Voigt, which is, you know, that's a decent loss. It's a right-handed batter that they might miss, a power bat that they might miss. Um, they got rid of a couple of pitchers as well, but they're, their starting rotation is, for the most part, the top three are still basically intact. Um, that's a very solid team. They're not going to catch the Dodgers, I don't think, in my mind. I think there's still too much space, uh, and I think the Dodgers are still very solid, very good team, and I don't think the Padres are going to be able to catch the Dodgers. But in a seven-game series or a five-game series uh, between the Dodgers and the Padres with Fernando Tatis, if he's fully healthy and playing, I think I might go Padres in this situation. This could just be me, you know, fully, fully buying into uh, the, you know, recency bias and the the glitz and glamour of a Juan Soto trade. Uh, Juan Soto going to a better team and him performing better uh, on the Padres. But uh, their bullpen got better. Their lineup got a lot better. And once Fernando got gets back, they're going to have one of the best lineups in the league. And Machado's having a career year. So that one through four with Manny Machado having a career year if Fernando Tatis comes back of Machado, Tatis, Juan Soto, and Josh Bell, that's a very solid lineup. And a couple of, you know, Trent Grisham as well, who's been pretty solid for them in center field. He's a good player. Jake Cronenworth, who's a pretty solid player. Still a couple holes here and there, I think. But top to bottom, I think that's a better lineup, especially as of right now, a better lineup than the Dodgers, in my opinion. And I think... Uh, it might be a year too early, maybe. Um, Juan Soto does bring a championship pedigree. He's won a championship with the Nationals, um, and that is, you know, a big deal. I think, as of right now, I think I would go the Padres, but it is close. I mean, you know, I'm not saying, you know, the Dodgers by any means would just lay down and you know get swept or anything like that. I think it would be a closer series, but I think top to bottom, I think the Padres have gotten better, and I think the Padres are probably the better team right now with. With the, now the big outlier, if Tatis comes back and he's not fully healthy and he does not perform to as good as we know he can play, then this all kind of crumbles apart and I don't think they're as good as before. And the other thing is, where are you going to play Tatis? Are you still going to play him at shortstop? He was not good at shortstop last year defensively, which is a big deal. And, um, you know, with his hand injury and that sort of thing, is he still going to play shortstop? Where do you put him when he does come back? Who knows? That's a whole bunch of uh, questions that need to be answered up uh once he does come back, we'll see what happened, what they do with him. But I think the Padres are better. And on the flip side, the Yankees, I don't think they've gotten good enough to really take a full step forward. As I mean, they are already record-wise at 70 and 34. They're the best team in the MLB. They got the best record in the MLB. They're a very good team. Do I think they have enough to make a run? The rotation has slipped a lot, which could be, you know, fatigue. Aaron Judge, though, is having a career year. He could very easily hit 60 home runs, 60-plus home runs this season. But the rotation has slipped some. Their bullpen has slipped a little bit. 
especially in the back half, Aroldis Chapman doesn't really have the oomph in his pitches anymore that he used to have a couple years ago. And I think the Astros have gotten good enough, and they've consistently been very good this season. I think they have gotten good enough to take a step over the Yankees, in my opinion. I think the Yank, the Astros can leap them. Now, granted, Yankees have a lot more going for them in that matchup in terms of, you know, or a revenge storyline, and that's probably eating them up in New York, that sort of thing. They want to beat the Astros. They basically need to get over that Astros hump in order to make the World Series. Um, but I do think the Astros did get good enough to take that leap over the Yankees, and I think the Astros would be able to beat the Yankees in a five-game series or a seven-game series. I think the Astros make the World Series, and I think that the Padres make... If it's not the Padres, the Mets are still very good, and again, the Mets made a couple of quiet moves that were pretty good for them as well. Mets, if DeGrom comes back, and if Scherzer is already back, but he continues to pitch like you know a Cy Young pitcher and they've got the best rotation in the MLB, in my opinion. So I think that the Astros meet the Mets in the World Series as it stands right now. Now, Mets still holding on to a very tiny league in the NL East. They have the Braves right behind them at three and a half games back. Uh, the Potteries are still very good. They're a wildcard team, so they have a lot of games to go through and actually win in order to get to the World Series and a lot of good teams to face in the National League to win and get to the World Series. The Cardinals the Cardinals are still a pretty good team. I don't think they're World Series caliber, uh, caliber team. I think if they got Juan Soto, that would have probably put them over the top. I think they need probably a little bit better pitching as well. Um, but the Mets, their offense has been clicking very well. Pete Alonso is a solid player. Francisco Lindor finally looks like he's comfortable again behind er, at the plate. And um, Scherzer again. Scherzer. Chris Bassett's been very good for them as well on the mound. And uh, Scherzer, DeGrom. Two best one two in the game, cut and dry period. If they come back healthy, Scherzer's already come back and it looked like he's been dominant. But if Degrom comes back and he's healthy, best one two in the game period. Um, it's going to be hard to beat the Mets in a seven game series or a five game series with two of those games being pitched by uh, Degrom and Max Scherzer. So I think the Mets can make it to the World Series and the Astros make it to the World Series. And um, I won't give you a prediction on those because it's kind of random and you know. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong and even predicting who gets there, then what's the point? Um, but I think that's those are the two teams that I think are probably the best in each league at this point and the best two teams that could make the World Series. Now, again, Padres, very good now. They're a very good team. They have a long way to go to catch the Dodgers. I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers. And I still think they're a young team in the sense of who they still have, you know, pitching behind them. Uh, Fernando Tatis is still young. That franchise in it in total is just young, and I think that could catch up to them in the playoffs in the terms of getting to the playoffs and going through the dog days of the playoffs where it's just a grind night in, night out um, to win, basically beat one team four straight times, uh, four times total in order to get to the next series, and you just do it all over again. I don't know if that team is completely ready for that. But like I said, bringing in Juan Soto is a big deal. Again, won a championship. He knows that grind. He's done that grind and he's won that grind. So that's a big deal. And of course, Juan Soto is a good enough bat as well to basically carry them to a world series if they, if need be. Um, so Padres still good enough. I think those are the one, two, I think the Mets and the Padres are the best teams in the NL Dodgers. Very close behind, very close second. They could jump to first as well. Um, and the American league, I think it's the Astros Yankees, 
And then basically everybody else, I think everybody's pretty well behind um, the Astros and the Yankees when it comes to the AL. I don't think there's a team that's going to catch them. Uh, either one of those teams, I think it's a two-team race in the American League, and I think the Astros get to the World Series in the American League. That is the trade deadline and a trade deadline wrap-up. Um, I want to thank you guys very much for tuning in again. You can listen to this podcast as you are right now um, anywhere you want to listen to the podcast. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to listen to it. You can take it on your phone, take it on the go, that sort of thing, or you can listen to it right now on sharedmedia.com, podcastwyoming.com as well. And uh, if you are listening to it on one of those exterior devices like Spotify or something like that, please leave a a rating. Five-star rating would be greatly appreciated. Again, it helps me get out to a more more national audience and that sort of thing. It gets me into a more trending section, if you will. So I would greatly appreciate that, leaving a rating. Um, If not, just keep on tuning in. I greatly appreciate that as well. So you have been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. That's going to wrap us up. I have been your host, James Timberlake.